When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Ryan Barney. You're watching Shout Out Loud Cast, and uh, we're playing lots of good music. We're, I know these guys are great fans of rock and roll, and that's what we deliver. See you all soon. Please come and see us when we play in America. I want to. <laughs> That's right. We're back with episode 48 of Dorm Damage. And this week, we are joined by a very special guest, the great Darren Paltrowitz, host of Paltrowcast and author of the brand new David Lee Roth book, How David Lee Roth Changed the World. Zeus, we had a lot of fun talking with Darren. Can't wait for everybody to hear this one. Yeah, it's a great, great interview. A ton of different aspects of Van Halen, David Lee Roth, and some Kiss talk. We think you'll like it. Here it is. All right. This week, we have a very special guest. He is the host of the Paltrocast with Darren Paltrowitz. And he's also the author of the brand new book that just came out. And we're going to talk to him a lot about that. DLR book, How David Lee Roth Changed the World. Welcome to the show, Darren Altrowitz to Shout It Out Loudcast. What's up, buddy? Tom, Zeus, thank you for having me. Longtime listener of your program. So oh, thank you. You know, sometimes you do these interviews and you you worry like, does this person know anything about Van Halen? Are they going to be jump just to gigolo people? Uh, I'm not worried about you guys. It's such a pleasure. Perfect. Thank you, Darren, for having for uh, for joining us. It's going to be great. So, Darren, you got put on our radar through Patreon, and you know, once in a while, our host Patreon uh, Pantheon. God fucking damn it! I this meant is- to say Pantheon. Uh, I don't even know the name of our company. Um, Pantheon, Pantheon sure. podcast, because Darren was looking at me like, what the fuck's he saying? Um, well, I would love it if Patreon knew me. That means that some checks would be coming yeah. to me. In the 20th <laughs> yeah. You would be in the Vinnie Vincent tier of our Patreon. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, where where you don't get money, Mark, you give money. <laughs> Mark St. John tier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the dead tier. Sorry, buddy. Oh, uh, nice. No one, no one too, does soon. Yeah. too soon. Too soon. Yeah. Well, regardless, you came on to in our radar um, from Pantheon. 
Yeah. And we're like, okay. Oh, this guy wrote a nice book about David Lee Roth. Oh, shit. And then we obviously you start doing a little research. I'm like, oh, shit. He's interviewed a few people. <laughs> what? He's an Thanks. investigator. What the? F- he yeah. Fascinating background. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize I do a few things that are unrelated to each other. I'm a licensed private investigator in a few different states. So my day job is doing background checks and arranging for surveillance and that kind of stuff. But I tape interviews, you know, five, six days a week. And a lot of them go to my show, The Paltrow Cast with Darren Paltrow, which is on 150 plus TV stations, OTT character. uh, All right. I can't speak. OTT carriers. Yeah. Um, the, the, the one I pat myself on the back for is I'm on Byron Allen's local now. Oh yeah. If you're not down with Byron Allen, you're just, you're not down. (laughs) You're Um, not down. (laughs) I mean, that man owns everything and you just don't realize he owns everything. (laughs) Really? So, uh, yeah, that's a lot of my interviews go there. Some of them go to the DLR cast, which I co-host with Steve Roth. And Mm -hmm. I was able to repurpose a lot of that for this book. And uh, uh, it's a lot of talking. I do a lot of yeah. talking. The wife is not happy sometimes. <laughs> it's okay. That's fine, buddy. So it, it's interesting because, like, people sometimes our podcast, they're like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? It's like, um, this isn't our full fucking time job. We actually <laughs> do other things unrelated to talking about kiss and music and similar to you. But yeah. I'm assuming there's a great affinity and love for Van Halen and David Lee Roth, hence the book. Is that an accurate statement? Big time, big time. I wrote this book because I felt that we hear the same stories over and over and over again with Van Halen. That some people are going, why did you only have, you know, one to two chapters about Van Halen? Because if you look in the last 10 years, there's been the Zlozauer books. Mm-hmm. There's been... Yep. The Eruption book that I think Brad Talinsky and Chris Gill did. There was the Michael Christopher book, the Time magazine thing you see in the line at the supermarket. Yes. It's all Eddie's perspective for the most part. And it's the same stories over and over and over and over again. And I figured, why not try and get into the web of Dave, which – I found out the hard way is – I still think that I don't know 80% of the story. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when people think about Van Halen in in the band in general, the music, they obviously focus on Eddie, yeah. focus on Alex. And when you and when people talk about David Lee Roth, they talk about him as a you know, a flamboyant front man, the wild mane of blonde hair, you know, the jumps, the kicks, and his vocals are, you know, they're they're sufficient to what they did. But in your book, you kind of peel back a little bit of the curtain and there's a lot more to what David Lee Roth brought to the band, the dynamics mm-hmm. internally, and not just on the records and on stage. For sure. Yeah. That man is a lot smarter than the average person thinks. He's up there pretending like he's this male bimbo mm-hmm. that's slacking. He's and a mimbo. He's a mimbo, like Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, he's a mimbo. mimbo. Uh, <laughs> hey, we can go deep into Seinfeld obscure characters. Oh, we can maybe do that next time we have you on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the first, the first guest on my podcast was Fred Stoller. Oh, he's hilarious. Yeah, oh my God. Him. That guy's, a, if you saw him, Zeus, you'd know who he is. Okay. Yep. 
Yeah. It kind of talks like this. Oh, I know who he is now. <laughs> you know, have to say Paul Skinny guy. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Really delayed in his delivery. Yes. Yeah, he wrote for Seinfeld. He was on some episodes. And yep. he was in Dumb and Dumber. Great comedic mind. But yep. yeah, I think that uh, Roth gives off the slacker California surfer dude kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then you go, but wait. You're you're Jewish. I I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. It's it's not anti-Semitic when I say it. Oh, it's okay. You yeah, go, no. You're you're the son of an ophthalmologist who owns patents, but you're trying <laughs> to tell this whole story that you were bused to integrated schooling <laughs> and yeah. you hung out with all the ethnic kids. And <laughs> sometimes with Dave, you don't know where the story ends or if it's all a story. Yeah. So one of the biggest misconceptions about Van Halen, I think, is they always get lumped in as this hard rock band or this metal band or hair metal band. But Dave has never liked hard rock. Dave hmm. hates metal. He, okay. he thinks he's a, a soul singer or a 60s kind of person or vaudeville person. That's yeah. where David Lee Roth comes from. I see that. Yeah, it makes sense. Hence, his first chance that he gets... What does he run off and do? I'm just a gigolo everywhere I go. (laughs) Like he's a performer. He doesn't see himself probably boxed in as, oh, yeah, you're a lead singer of a hard rock, heavy metal band. Did you ever hear the Bill Burr rant about David Lee Roth (laughs) having a little too much musical theater in his influence? (laughs) Bill Burr is awesome. Yes. Yes. Bill Bill Burr is probably one of the biggest hard rock fans that should have spoken to me for the book, but didn't. If, if you listen to his stuff, you'll talk about him being psyched to see Greg Bissonette at one of his shows at the comedy store. Yeah. You know, he's one of us. Yeah. I yeah. Obviously wants to portray that he's uh, a slacker of sorts, but right, right. Not. he's yeah. very intelligent. So anyway, Bill Burr was saying how you start, you first heard that song, that Van Halen song goes, shoot butter, butter to bop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. And the bomb, and you're like, oh, God, there's yeah. too much musical theater in this guy. So he leaves Van Halen and then just the gigolo and that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. It makes now, sense. And when you talk about how David Lee Roth, like, didn't, you know, want to be known as like a hard rock metal guy. I mean, we, we've talked about Van Halen a lot on this show, whether it's in, in the company of Kiss or whether it's on, on an album review. And, you know, we, we might get to that tonight. But. I think a lot of people who, you know, don't die, take deep dives into Van Halen history or David Lee Roth specifically, they kind of look at Van Halen as like the the proto hair metal band, like the party yeah. rock band before the 80s came. And it doesn't seem like really anybody in the band kind of wanted that moniker. Would that be safe to say? Absolutely safe to say. I- yeah think they're they're an ethnic band that nobody thinks of as an ethnic band because you say two of the four members are born in the netherlands as mixed race individuals uh, because the family had to flee due to racism yep. and then you can imagine the anti-semitism that david lee roth faced for most of his tenure in van halen mm. so it's not like they're a bunch of like white surfer dudes and uh, but that's the image that they created and did poison totally copy their image yeah uh, a yeah. lot of a lot of bands copied their image long term. You could argue Motley Crue copied their image to some extent, and so they inspired people musically and personality wise. 
It's funny because we talked about fair warning. We just did an album review crew episode on that. And, you know, they have those original MTV videos where the the concert footage from the Oakland Coliseum. Yeah. And one of the things I remember Tom remarking, and it's like, he's absolutely right. I've never seen a, like a considered hard rock band smile as much. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then you think about all their videos, even you go down to Panama. Ooh, Eddie's smiling the whole time. You know, if they're a happy, go lucky, LA fun party band. And that's yeah. the image. I can't put them in the hair metal category. I can't put them in the heavy metal category. I can't yeah. put them at like classic soft rock. They're they're like hard rock. They're in their own little league because they didn't really follow any of those trends. They were their own band. And now other bands try to come out and be like, yeah, we're an L.A. band. We got the blonde lead singer who, you know, does crazy antics and says things and a hot, flashy guitar player. But nobody's like Van Halen, especially musically. You you raise a really good point. I'm trying to think of one band that smiled before Van Halen. (laughs) Okay, Deep Purple didn't smile. No. Grease didn't smile. Kiss didn't smile. Nope. No. No, no, no we definitely did not smile. No, no, because at that time, hard rock, you know, metal or any kind of rock was like serious business. So I have something serious to say. We're Zeus and I always joke. I'm a serious, serious musician. Yeah. Listen to me. Yeah. And that's and, and, the way they come off cross because Eddie Van Halen, the greatest thing about him, I think, is he makes it look effortless. Big smile on his face, like what? And then his fingers are doing something insane, and he's almost like, "Hey, look what I can do, guys! This is awesome, huh?" Instead yeah. of people being yeah. like, "What the fuck is this guy doing?" And then David Lee Roth is just—it looks like nothing will ever get him down. Just the happy ringleader, good-looking guy, great shape. And then this is the thing that always amazes me. I, you know, I know people give him shit. I like his voice. I think he's got. What he fit. Me too. I don't know anybody else who could fit with that sound. Even the screeching and the talking and then the words and the playful games he plays. And that fucking athleticism. The guy Mm -hmm. obviously was a, what Paul Stanley liked to be, a renaissance man. Yes. How much time and skill he must have put to have his body in that shape and do those, I don't know, fucking... Uh, rock heads what is it like yeah yeah the talent that he must and even even like the jump videos he's doing all those flashy things like that takes skill and he can still do that he can still write lyrics he can still sing live this isn't an idiot like you said i know he may be the blonde mimbo from seinfeld (laughs) but he is a fucking talented hard-working man and he just comes across as everybody's favorite host and party man right yeah like the end of the Hot for Teacher video where he became America's favorite game show host. But yeah. the whole narrative of Dave can't sing live. And there's been a lot of proponents who pushed that forward. Sammy Hagar, obviously yeah. being one of those. Eddie Trunk, uh, who I like Eddie. I've had personally one-on-one good interactions with Eddie yeah. Trunk. Uh, us too. Uh, yeah, but yeah. he tends to favor the side of the band that will give him the interviews. So in other words, 
in Judas Priest, like, oh, no, it's not no. that great. But KK's Priest, let me tell you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not with Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons versus Ace and Peter. He's not like that. <laughs> I want to come back to that in a minute because okay. shout out loud. Thing. I'm teasing okay. Eddie. Oh, I want to come back to the Ace thing. I sure. really, really no, want to no come back. No problem, brother. <laughs> oh, oh boy! Because I want your hot take, and and you okay, take me off the podcast after I said this. No, well, it's we okay. Might be friends for life. Okay, it's okay. Go ahead. One thing's gonna happen here, but certain people say Dave can't sing live. And a couple hours ago, while I was doing some writing, I was watching the '83 Brazil Van Halen show, and Dave singing great in that. I love the '99 Finland MTV solo Dave show. He sings great in that. There's particular eras where he sings excellent. I thought the early 2000s, he was great. I thought the first 2007 run with Van Halen, he was great. It's it's like what four or five talents is Dave going to focus on? And those four or five things he's going to do amazing and everything else he's going to suck at. So the question is, is he taking singing lessons? Because there, there's a woman who she wouldn't speak to me for the book, but I know who his vocal teacher was. He probably had her under non-disclosures, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But if Dave goes, I have this theory about Dave, and it sounds like a joke, like I'm workshopping material, but I'm not. But Dave kind of goes, okay, so I'm going to take up Portuguese, <laughs> fencing, uh, cartooning, and singing lessons. And then he does <laughs> all those things perfectly. And then he just says, okay, I've done enough Portuguese. So now it's going to be Japanese uh, I'm going to get my body tattooed. I'm going to run a marathon and I'm going to learn <laughs> blues guitar and open tuning. And then suddenly the singing sucks. That's yeah. Dave. Yep. Yeah, it, it, it's true. It, it's funny. We saw David Lee Roth when he opened, he did a short stint opening for kiss yeah. on the end of the road tour. Oh yeah. And we saw him in February of 2020, right before COVID hit. And yeah. again, this is Dave in 2020. We had a, we had a great time. I mean, he knew what he was up there for to do he wasn't up there to to to, to pretend it was 1982 or not or even 1992 he, he was an entertainer and he did what he was supposed to do but i, I want to get back to one thing kind of like the like the early like the you know the kind of the glory is of of van halen yeah and you know 1984 comes around and you know i i saw one of your interviews that you did with the guys over at the van halen news desk oh thank and, you oh yeah it was great um, and one of the things that, that you mentioned was that it, it appeared that, correct me if I'm wrong and I, and I might be, but it appeared that David Lee Roth was kind of preparing for like the follow up to 1984. And then yeah. like the wheels kind of fell off with his solo career where it didn't look like his solo career was going to result in him leaving the band. It's almost like what Paul Stanley did for a little bit where he still was in kiss, but he made, you know, live to win and he made a couple albums, but he was always in kiss. Is that, is that what kind of David thought that like, Hey, I'm going to do just a gigolo, but I I still want to be in Van Halen. That, that is correct. Uh, Yeah. Despite what team Van Halen says. And also there's this um, quote, confidential document that's been circulating for years about the last shows of David Lee Roth and Van Halen Mm -hmm. and actual budgets and all that kind of stuff. And I think it was supposed to be at the Rose bowl. Okay. So he wasn't planning on leaving long-term. I think he was planning on doing his solo thing and, or quote, leaving for two years or something like that. And that was that because as the only unattached, uh, not married, not 
no anchor, no, no thing that he has to do person. Dave didn't want to just sit home and do nothing. But Van Halen, after the 1984 tour, wanted to do nothing for a little bit. Whereas Dave is going, where's the next adventure? Mm-hmm. So that's why he goes into the studio and makes Crazy from the Heat. And he's looking at the screenplay, not because he wants to be the biggest solo artist of all time. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense for that as well. And and it's if you got a guy that's just hungry for the, like entertaining, and look, I've got a a personality and a side of me that I want to do these type of songs. It doesn't fit Van Halen. Why don't I run off to do this now? If he came back, imagine he brings in like you know Yankee Rose and stuff to the next Van Halen album. How insane would that have been? You know, I mean. But eventually, I think he felt the competitive juices going and going, you know, they're putting out 5150 and I'm putting out fucking just a gigolo. I got to get I got to I got to get back to my roots. Yeah, I think it was a neck at neck race between Edom and Smile and 5150. Yep. Debatable if OU812 and Skyscraper debatable. But after that album, it was not a race or a competition anymore. It was very clear who won. We, in retrospect, think of Skyscraper as this big album because we still hear just like Paradise all the time. It was in that Netflix movie called Don't Look Up. Mm-hmm. And it's in Rock of Age. It's the Broadway musical that's still off Broadway and touring. So uh, it's in a Grand Theft Auto video game. Mm-hmm. We hear it, but it wasn't a massive album. I think it shipped platinum, but did not sell platinum within the first few years of release. Somebody who knows stuff. And I, I use that because some of the people I speak with when I want to clear up if things are true about David Van Halen, but they don't want to go on the record. But I swear to you, they were there and signing contracts and all that somebody was there told me that skyscraper was super unrecouped for all for a long time maybe still is aside from the publishing money and you know the licensing stuff yeah 
In other words, it's not like Skyscraper was this amazing thing and that's, you know, went on for a three-year world tour because it didn't. It did yeah. one leg everywhere, not South America, and it ended. Yeah. Another thing, you know, Zeus, and before we hit record, we were talking about how on our, you know, our album review crew, we talked about Fair Warning, which is personally my my favorite Van Halen. I mean, I love everything Van Halen does, whether it's Sammy Hagar, David Lee Roth. Yeah. But the story behind Fair Warning is the reason why it is such a dark and dirty and gritty, nasty record is because of kind of like the headspace that Eddie and the band in general was. And can you tell us where David Lee Roth kind of fit into like the world of Fair Warning? Like, I mean, I personally think that that's some of his best vocals because a lot of the songs he's singing as opposed to some of the stuff that he does on Diver Down or whatever, you know, he's singing a lot of those songs on Fair Warning. Depending on who you ask is how important Ted Templeman was to the overall process. Because sometimes people say, oh, yeah, Ted was rewriting lyrics and vocal harmonies. And then you have Roth himself going, I wrote all the melodies and I wrote some of the guitar solos. And you go, that's not humanly possible that you were vocally scatting finger tapping. <laughs> yeah. So you have that going on. And then you have Noel Monk's side of history, which a lot of people who were in the room and around go, yeah, Noel was not went there when the albums were being made. So it's one of those things where you almost like a choose your own adventure story. You have to go, do I believe Eddie's side, Dave's side, the former manager's side, Don Landy's side, Ted Templeman's side? Yeah. Or do I just combine the what what are the most interesting and possible parts? I don't believe a lot of the Dave perspective on stuff. I know that sounds terrible based on the book that I wrote, but he's been really big on putting himself there for stuff he wasn't there for. I think mm. every band has one of those kinds of people. Paul Stanley might be that in Kiss. <laughs> yep. well, and, and I I really like Paul. I had mm -hmm. I interviewed him once. I think he's a genius, multi-talented and all that, but he wants to rewrite history that he is Kiss. Oh, totally. Yeah, we talk about he's that a lot. He's also the most sensitive human being in this whole fucking world. <laughs> but that's another story. But, you know, it's interesting yeah. what you say about David Lee Roth because Van Halen unfortunately, mm -hmm is very similar to kiss in that regard. Yeah. So you're either David Lee Roth or sometimes you're on Van Halen, Eddie's and Alex's. And it's too bad because you should just appreciate the music or Sammy Hagar. So you'll find it's rare that you'll get a guy that likes David Lee Roth, eat him and smile. He likes, um, you know, OU812. He likes fair warning. All three carnations of this whole Van Halen thing. Similar to Kiss, you'll find it rare to find a guy that can like Ace on his own and uh, Kiss now and then Kiss in the early days because they, they there's this faction in the, the polarization of this whole fucking society. you got to be on one team. And if you are on this team, you cannot like that team. You have to hate them. I like only Van Halen with David Lee Roth. Sammy Hagar sucks. Now, I, I joke to Tom. <laughs> I see fucking shit like as a Kiss fan. Obviously, yeah. there's the the Ace Cult, and then there's the Paul sucks people and all that shit. I've showed Tom some stuff that like, look what these people say about Sammy Hagar. There is a vitriol of hatred 
to a Sammy Hagar. And I'm like, he is like the funnest, nicest guy. What the fuck is your problem? Well, well, here we go. But I look at him as a fan of Van Halen, both with David and both with Sammy. Like, I like Sammy. When I see him interview people, dude, everybody talks shit as a rock star. Like you said, you can listen to Paul tell you a great story about how he wrote Love Gun. And then you can listen to Paul tell you that he fucking, well, I I defined the logo. Bullshit. Ace wrote the logo. Just give him the fucking credit. Yeah. You get that with everybody. But to me, yeah. I hate that polarization about David Lee Roth or Eddie Van Halen or you got to be on Team Sammy. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I I like Sammy's music. Uh, he takes care of a lot of people, but he at the same time hurts Van Halen's legacy a lot, and he tells a lot of lies. So, do you remember that Ex- recent explain. article? Explain. Go ahead. Yeah, do you remember the recent article where Sammy was talking about all the bands he was asked to join? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, like Sammy was asked to join Pantera. Do you oh God, that? I do not. I don't remember that. That ain't going to fit. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, there are so many lies that Sammy tells that maybe somebody told him this was true and he sticks with it. But when he says, for example, that Van Halen sold more records with him than David Lee Roth and you go, OK, I am no mathematician, but of the first six albums that they did with Dave, two of them sold diamond yeah. in the U.S., which means yep. 10 million. 10 million. Is there one Van Hagar album that sold more than 6 million copies? No. So how did Sammy Hagar sell more copies than David Lee Roth? <laughs> well, oh, don't let the don't let don't let the <laughs> facts get in the way of a good story, Darren. Uh, come on, we we know guys love to do this. Yeah, he's, so- he's counting the VHS, I think it's called Live Without a Net. Those <laughs> sales of that. Yeah, right. He's copying live right here, right now is yeah. two units per. Uh, yeah, oh, exactly. That quadruple platinum. Yeah, yeah. And right. he's right. counting right. the Twister soundtrack because it had <laughs> humans being on That's it. That's right. Uh, I, I, I loathe that. And then he also says in his book that before the 1984 tour that Van Halen was playing to half empty arenas that had roped off sections and they didn't get big until 1984. Not true. Now, when Sammy talks about how big, when he said um, when they fired him, they're like, you're firing this lead singer, the biggest rock band in the world. Are you aware that when Van Halen toured Europe in like, I think it was 93 or 94, it was opening up for Bon Jovi? Imagine that. But wow. they were the biggest band in the world, right? Yeah, yeah as, then- as an opener. <laughs> As an opener. And then when you look at where the reunion tours with Roth played, they did not go to Europe. They didn't go to South America. You're telling me Irving Azoff walked away from money? No, it's that Van Halen is a U.S., Canada, Japan, U.K., not so much. Because David Lee Roth, supposedly the Skyscraper Tour, someone told me it was theaters, not arenas. Van Mm. Halen was not the biggest band in the world at any point in time you look at van halen one there was two singles i believe released from the album running with the devil and you really got me mm-hmm. uh, running with the devil is not even a top 50 single but when we listen to classic rock radio we think of that as a hit we think of jamie's crying as a hit these were not hit songs it's just in retrospect mm-hmm. we look at these songs as anthems that have lived on for the 
for the test of time. So Sammy's kind of rewritten history in a few aspects. That's where I'm going. And can I give you my really rude Ace Freely theory? Yes, please. We love Ace Freely theories. Which is either going to solidify our our friendship or get me banished. Okay. Okay. Go for it. This is an open space to say anything. Go for it. When I started off as a Kiss fan, I loved Kiss. Mm-hmm. Then over time, I started hearing the t- the typical stuff that we hear, and you believe it. So you believe that Gene Simmons is this mean guy, and that Ace and Peter just got the raw end of the deal over and over and over again, and poor guys. Mm-hmm. And and how dare that scab Tommy Thayer? Like you're <laughs> you're trained to that. Yep. And then over time, you kind of realize, wait, no, Ace kind of screwed up over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that Peter's wife may have created a few complications o- along the way. I don't want to s- get sued or get anyone sued. That's okay. Nope, go ahead. But that last interview that Ace did with Eddie Trunk oh, God. was so abysmal where he didn't know the names of people who wrote <laughs> songs on the album. Oh, yeah. And then he's cutting down Kiss for going, you know, my new video, 10,000 volts, <laughs> 300,000 views in 12 days. And Kiss has this video live from Indianapolis and it only has 20,000 views. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, we fan, talk, a we, fan video, by the way. We talk about that quite often, Darren. It's <laughs> painful. It's painful. It brought me so back to loving Gene and Paul. <laughs> yes. Until, yep. Okay. Thank you. Oh yeah, no, oh, no, it. no, no. He is he is on a fucking roll. The past month, somebody is just talking in his ear, yeah. and he has no idea how this is coming across. There was just an article we were laughing about the fact that he was like, "I haven't sounded this good in fifteen, twenty years, dude." Have you seen any of his videos that the people is like girlfriend? I think is sabotaging his career by putting them on YouTube and listening to him sing. It's yeah. fucking horrendous. And, and, and I like for the re- for the record, Steve Brown, who I interviewed for my book, yep. he knows everything about Van Halen. He's on the the Van Halen Brothers trust list. Okay, uh, yeah, I like Steve Brown. David Julian, who co wrote Ten Thousand Volts with with Steve, uh, has the book, and he's a nice guy. And I hope to interview him. And talented guy. Yeah. But yeah. what is Ace doing on every <laughs> level? Yeah. I don't get it. He's tr- he's trying to do some promo there for sure, for sure. It, but yeah, go, no, go ahead. Go I was ahead. just gonna say it's it's just unprofessional management is what he has. Yeah, and they don't know how to help his career. You know, the Ace Cult will eat it up. Just they'll forgive him and love him no matter what because he gets away. Because th- I'm the coolest member in cast. Like, congratulations. You well, know, well, that's a, but that's actually a good segue in terms of management because that was actually I was actually kind of the next kind of avenue I was going to go down with with Van Halen in the Roth era. Where did management stand? Okay, I, let me back up. We talked about 1984 and how Roth left. Yeah. Now, there's always different factions of Kiss like you mentioned about, you know, I mean as years pass, we've kind of gotten the truth about why Peter left, why Ace left, but sometimes if you talk to them directly, they'll tell you different stories. Right. When David Lee Roth like was officially out of Van Halen, what are the stories now in terms of management, in terms of Eddie, in terms of Alex, Michael? Did David want to leave Van Halen? Was he asked to leave? Was he kicked out? Did management get involved? Uh, again, we don't want you to tell too much of your book. 
because we want people oh. to buy it and read it. But but just kind of a little bit, but a little bit about that kind of that dynamic, because it does kind of remind us about what happened in 79, 80, 81 with Kiss and, and the bands kind of going at each other and eventually leaving. The same thing that happened with Roth and Van Halen is the same thing that happened with Hagar and Van Halen, which oh. is that. Okay. He quit. No, I was fired. Ah, Both okay. of those happened. Then you look at Gary Sharon. Yep. He was ousted. And it's also a mysterious kind of thing where supposedly there's an almost done second album that they did with Sharon that Danny Korchmer produced, or at least he worked on the, on the sessions with him. Yep. And we can't find out anything about that. And then before Sharon stepped into the picture, there was a few different singers like Mitch Malloy and uh, Sasser. Oh, he loves to talk about that. He was in Van Halen, that guy. He yep. sure does. Yep. <laughs> He thinks that he was in Van Halen and Sass Jordan <laughs> thinks that she was offered it. And Patty Smythe says that she was offered it before Sammy. I remember and that. Hall says that he was asked to be in Van Halen. And then there's that whole thing. Well, Pete Townsend was possibly going to do it. <laughs> and no, it was going to be an all-star band. How about the Van Halens? All the talent was in the musicality and none of the talent was in communication. Because a story that I heard from a, an old friend of a friend, have you ever heard of Russ Irwin? Yeah, uh, why? He uh, was Aerosmith's keyboardist and like principal backing vocalist for a lot of years before Buck Johnson took it. He okay. has solo records. He's written songs for people. He's just one of those people that's always been working, but you don't know his name. Okay. And somebody told me a story of, at a certain point in the 90s or early 2000s, Van Halen went, we're adding a keyboard player. And they flew him out, and Eddie did not necessarily remember that he asked for it. Uh-oh. So, so Russ like, just showed up at 5150. It's like, hey, here to jam? And they're like, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, that's a secondhand story. But I just get the vibe that Eddie all the time is like, you're in the band. Like, did you ever hear the Craig Gass story about oh. living with Eddie Van Halen? Go ahead. We we know we know Craig, but go ahead tell tell the story. I'm not sure if we know this one. In in the early 2000s, uh, Craig's uh, Craig basically became friends with Eddie through their mutual friend Maddie Brock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they lived. Uh, didn't he live there for a little bit too? He lived there, and it was just mm-hmm. an impromptu. Like, oh, you need a place to stay? Move into my place. So I just get the vibe that Eddie all the time is going, he's in the band. He's out of the band. You're living yeah. with me. You're doing this. We're doing this. Yeah. And not necessarily holding on to that. And yeah. I think a lot of some people like me, if you say, hey, I want you to come over at six o'clock, I'm going to be there at six o'clock. And then other people just figuratively like, like Sammy Hagar go, hey, man, we should do lunch sometime. And that doesn't mean you're ever going to do lunch. They just say Let's do lunch. Yeah. Like, those bastards. So Sammy is like the Kenny Banya of like the Van Halen people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not far off. That, that might be a good, good Seinfeld comparison. That's not so, what you would so, call a compliment. <laughs> no, it's not. So Dar- Darren, let me ask you just one more thing about this. In your opinion, or or maybe not even in your opinion, in your research. Yeah. If David Lee Roth was not pursuing a solo career or writing solo materials, would he still have been gone after 1984? Was that, was the writing on the wall at the time of that album, that this was the end of David Lee Roth regardless? No, I think that the movie 
was planned to be. Like he was going to be a big star the way that Cher or Madonna or Bette Midler was a movie star. And the soundtrack to that movie was going to be Eat Him and Smile. Because okay. when you read the script of the movie, Crazy from the Heat, because it it was only canceled a couple of weeks before filming was supposed to start. Wow. The studio going belly up. It was casted, all that wardrobe. Uh, Billy Sheen has talked about he still has his pimp coat from the script. <laughs> it yeah. names David Lee Roth songs in the script. Okay. That's why I believe that Eat Him and Smile was just supposed to be the soundtrack. When you listen to the songs of Eat Him and Smile – very little of those are actually about a person or Dave. It's, yeah. it's, it's not real human being kind of songs. So like, why, why is I'm easy and that's life on there? Mm-hmm. Those, it's movie soundtrack stuff. I'm only speculating. Yeah. Ladies night in Buffalo. <laughs> that's a, that's a script premise. I can't get through that whole script. It's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. It's, it's really tough to to get through. And I've been criticized for saying that. Like, you write a book about David Lee Roth. How dare you not want to read the script? I don't want to watch this whole graphic comic, The Roth Project. It's brutal. Yeah. I don't want to listen to the whole Gene Simmons vault. I don't have to. <laughs> I could be That's an good. expert without wasting my time. <laughs> That's a good point. And what do you have to say about this whole, I'm going to go, the whole David Lee Roth part of his life. I'm going to go compete against Howard Stern in New York. Oh. And and I believe, I honestly believe that failure yep. made David Lee Roth go from one of the coolest rock stars to a to a laughing stock for a little bit. Okay, complex thoughts here. When's the last time you listened? Because you can find it on YouTube. A lot of the episodes of his K Rock or whatever you want to call it, radio show. When's the last time you listened to it? Uh, probably, probably not. Never. Probably not since they were live. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably not since they were like like. Live oh six yeah oh exactly yeah yeah okay i spent a period when i was writing this book and i was driving myself a little insane by consuming every david lee roth morsel i kind of could but i was listening to his k-rock episodes you know with 2022 and 2023 goggles on Mm -hmm. and it at times is really interesting and at times it's the dave psychobabble (laughs) yep so meaning He's the kind of person who could say something really, really intelligent. You go like, wow. And he just thought of that. And then he can also become the zibbity bop guy like like (laughs) that. And it's brutal. So there is the radio show's not as bad as you think it was. It just it wasn't a Howard Stern replacement. If that. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up a big Howard Stern fan. Me too. I love. Howard Stern, when did you drop off? Uh, I listened to him when he went to satellite radio, but I started to drop off. I'll be honest with you. I started to drop off when a lot of the, the classic whack pack guy, like when Jackie left, when Fred left, like those were the golden years for me. And when those guys started to drop off, I, I, I still listen to it a little bit, but now he's just kind of like an old kind of, you know, he's not Howard Stern anymore. He became Imus. Yeah, oh, exactly. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. He became Imus. Yes. Yeah, so it's sad now. Uh, yeah. I loved it until Artie was gone or when Artie yep. was starting to really fall off. And yep. this is an unpopular opinion, but when listening with 2006, but now in 2022 to the Roth stuff, you hear that he was creating his own whack pack on yep. the show. 
So by having his security guard animal there, by having mm-hmm. his guitar player, Brian Young, playing in and out of commercials, whoever the assistant was, by talking to the board operator like they're a human being, he was doing that. But when you think about it, the intros to the Just a Gigolo, Yankee Rose, California Girls are that too, where yeah. he's creating these weirdo characters that are amping everything up to 10. So if Dave had the long-term budget and attention span, he could have been another Howard Stern evolved type. He can interview people. It's just, it was a bad first impression. Can we, can we compliment? Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's it was almost like an absolute no win situation. You're trying to follow you're trying to follow Howard Stern, but you're also trying to follow Howard Stern and make people not think that you're David Lee Roth from Van Halen that we all know and love. So there's too much going on. There was really no way for him to probably succeed at that, in in my opinion, which because I think there was too many other factors that people's eyes and ears we're dealing with, which is now, like you said, if you listen to him now, you can think, well, yeah, that's not bad because you got fresh years. It's almost 20 years later. Yeah. And you're not commuting and dealing with how much you hate your job <laughs> while yeah. you're listening to the right. psycho battle. Right. Right. But, right. but I give a lot of credit to Dave in that era because he had Matt Sencio managing him. And in that period of, say, 99 to 07, before he rejoins Van Halen, so he does the radio thing, which is, you know, famously fails. But he's recording, he's touring and playing the Van Halen hits again. He pops up on The Sopranos. He has a, Co- a Conan O'Brien cameo. He's Dave again. It's it's like 1985, 1986 Dave, an old version of him, but he's doing interviews again. Um, he was shopping around a book. He So he was doing all that while he was an EMT for some of that. Yep. So, I love that for that era of Dave, even if the radio show is just so drugged out, crazy talk, insanity stuff. There is genius buried in there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because it, it just came across. I remember it at the time that even like that type of music, even Van Halen got put into like the dinosaur category the yep. Kiss, the Bon Jovis, the Cinderellas, and all those bands started becoming laughing stocks and all these old news. And David Lee Roth is the guy who's been out of Van Halen. His last kind of stuff that he put out was like Skyscraper. And he kind of like looked like the old guy who's trying to be like, hey, young kids, listen to me on the radio. And Stern was just so like cool back then. Yep. And he just laughed him off. And destroyed him. And it just made David Lee Roth, that fucking guy from 1984, look uncool. And and that yeah. he is anything but uncool. But that's what it looked like. I remember from that era, I'm like, oh, my God, what happened to this guy? And, yeah. you know, then he comes back to Van Halen for a minute and gets booted out again at the MTV Awards. Made the whole band and everybody look like morons. Everybody, you know, it just... There was just a lot of stupid drama. It's very Kiss-like, where you're like, can't you guys just fucking put it together? What about for the fans? And they're like, fuck the fans. I can't stand that asshole. (laughs) And that's what you got. Your favorite band, they just won't get along. And you always have the first couple albums. 
Yeah. So if I can make it about me, me, me for a, a second. Here. Absolutely. So I, for a while, I was writing for this website uh, called Inquisitor that had such high UVM, unique visitors monthly, that it could basically get any interview that it wanted because through some technicality, all the clickbait was going to surface. So I think 2017, the editor goes, yeah, I don't think you're going to want this, but if you want to interview Gene Simmons, you can. And I went, what? Okay. Yeah. And this was him promoting the vault. So Mm -hmm. I came into this Gene Simmons interview going, okay, he's going to make fun of me. He's going to hate me. Uh, Oh, this, this sucks. He's going to, he's going to do the gymnasium. That's a large word. Like he's going to do every Gene Simmons thing and he's going to hate me. And I came in super prepped. I dressed up a little bit for it. And he started off with the gymnasium thing, I think on the second question, but I asked him a couple of questions. I don't think he gets asked a lot and he warmed up and he dropped the prick character and he was super nice. And I tried to keep it under 30 minutes and they're like, we got more time if you want. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. So I asked him more stuff and then I'm like, oh, okay, so I'll go. And they're like, no, no, ha- you can hang out. And I gave him a CD and then he wanted to talk more music with me. And then I was trying to leave, you know, not overstaying my, like, no, no, no. Do you want a signed photo? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to take a photo with you? Yeah. <laughs> so he was so nice and so pleasant. And then the same thing kind of happened a year later. They're like, do you want to interview Gene again? And he'll be at this place to, to hawk his soda. The oh, yeah. bag soda. Yep. And again, he was super nice and awesome. But we're all conditioned to think like, oh, this guy's, this is a miserable guy who's going to rip you off. But oh, he, he's the best. He's great. We've met yeah. him. Yeah. And then a couple days later, I see him. I was going to coincidentally be in Niagara Falls. And they're like, Gene Simmons is signing. Um, if you buy a six pack of root beer yep. at 7-Eleven, he'll take a photo. They're in upstate beer. New York, the, bo- the bottling the, plant. The, yeah, upstate. the money bag guys. Yeah. 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 So I go, and he's nice again. So it's like this three for three with Gene, where he's this great guy, but we're told that he's not a nice guy. And then you look at Van Halen, and you look at all these big smiles on stage, and then you learn about the inner workings, and you go, ugh. It's it's party-happy music for miser- made by miserable people who hate each other and travel on separate planes. <laughs> that's what we've, yeah, it's funny you bring that up because that's kind of what we've heard that the whole, that the, the party atmosphere, the party anthems, the, the big grins on stage, when the lights go down, they all hate each other pretty much. Yeah, they couldn't hold it together no matter how successful they got. So when I was saying before that Eddie said, this person, you're in the band, and then they go, oh, so I'm not in the band? It's this confusing thing that I don't think you hear in a lot of other bands at that level. Other bands, I think, were able to handle success a lot better than Van Halen did. Yeah. It's too bad because another great band that we all love has still left and leaving fans polarized about who to like. The bottom line is it's music. If you like it, you like it. Who cares if that's David Lee Roth's solo album or Montrose or fucking... You know, if, Van Hagar, whatever. If you like it, you like, like chicken it. chicken foot that much. Then, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. <laughs> hey, real, 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 real quick, real yeah. quick before we, before we let you go, you touched on Gene Simmons. Yeah. And obviously, uh, you know, I said previously, we don't want to give, you know, things away in your book or anything. We know that Gene Simmons had some stuff to do with, with Eddie Van Halen. 
and, yeah. and, and trying to sign Van Halen and Eddie and Alex recording demos with the band. Did you discover anything in your research with the with the, the, the David Lee Roth book about anything involving that, like in terms of like his thoughts, his opinions? Where was he? Was there any part of of that crossover with with the Gene Simmons uh, and, and the David Lee Roth book, that type of stuff? I briefly mentioned from that 27 or so 2017 or so interview that Gene Simmons mentioned his vault had two songs that Alex and Eddie played on. Yep. So I mentioned that there and that Gene Simmons uh, financed their demo. Yes. And by the way, there's so many conflicting facts about that, that sometimes Gene says or people say it was a three song demo. And then other people call it like a 25 song demo. Yeah. It's on my vault. I have 42 takes of the same song. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what's the truth of that any anymore. Uh, Gene Simmons, I remember he had this public debate with Bob Lefsetz, mm-hmm. and he was going like, what have you ever done? And then he does the Gene like army <laughs> yeah, yeah. thing. And, and he's like, I think you only managed Wasp. Uh, oh, God. So he did. That's yeah. what he did at Left Sets. And then Left Sets like, well, what have you ever done? He's like, I discovered Van Helen. I managed Liza Minnelli. I d-. He did one of those things. <laughs> yeah. But the other people you talk to will go, no, Paul discovered Van Halen because supposedly he saw them the night before Gene and told Gene to come. Yep. Oh, yeah. So like with any rock band, it depends on who you talk to is where you get your story, as I'm sure you discovered in your writing your book. If you send me $50, I'll tell you three <laughs> truths and two lies. You guess which ones are right. Yeah. So I, I still don't know who really discovered them because other people go, no, of course, Marshall Burl discovered them. No, Bill Gazzari really is who discovered. No, it's really Rodney Bingenheimer. Yeah. No, it's re- you yeah. don't know who really discovered Van Halen. Then also in terms of the management, it's so unique and weird that Marshall Burl is managing them and gets them the record deal, but he's not really working with them. So they quickly fire him. And then Noel Monk, who's the tour manager becomes the manager. And so he writes this book about all the stuff he did for Van Halen, but then Dave leaves Van Halen or is fired, whichever one. And he takes everybody from the Van Halen camp, except Noel Monk, which Mm -hmm. then makes you think, well, if Noel Monk was so, so important, why did he leave Noel Monk behind? Because he took Ted Templeman, he took the secretaries, he took Pete Angelus and other crew people. Why did he leave the manager if he was so important? Mm. So, like, all this stuff, to get the real story on Dave, and stop me if this is too long-winded or not. No, no, no go, go ahead, go ahead. So, with Dave, it's not like there's that ZZ Top manager who's been with with him for 50 years Mm -hmm. aside from family nobody sticks around with dave that long like you'll find a drummer who's there for seven eight years and then they never talk to him again there's so many things like that most of the people are around for three months to two years never again do they talk to him so it's not like that is that is that a product of david's is that the way he carries himself? Because we've kind of learned a little bit about that with Paul Stanley. So the last few months, we've we've been lucky enough to interview a lot of songwriters in the in the Kiss catalog that yeah. work directly with Paul, and a lot of them kind of c- commented either directly or indirectly how 
they were so close with Paul for this short period of time. And then all of a sudden the communication was over and they haven't talked to him in 25 years. Yeah. uh, Dave, it's pretty similar. Okay. Very ambitious guy. I think he sours on people for reasons that you and I would never understand. He's a very intellectual person, but also very paranoid. Okay. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. (laughs) Allegedly, allegedly, (laughs) supposedly, allegedly. I never said it. Um, (laughs) I hear you. So so I think that to write this book, it's kind of like, well, this era, this guy was around a lot. This era, this lady was around a lot. This era, this. So it's not like one expert. So the reason that all these different personality traits and recollections come up from all these different perspectives is because I had to speak to all these different people. So the people who worked with Dave in the last five, six years, that Dave is nothing like the person from the mid eighties or the mid nineties. He's evolved into being more of a self-sufficient person for better and for worse. But there'd be like, Hey, this happened to Dave in 2012. And then I'd have to think, okay, who's my 2012 expert. This happened in 2023. Who's my 2023 expert? It wasn't <laughs> the same person. So that's yeah. why it's such a schizophrenic book. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, Darren, before we let you go, and this has been amazing, we could obviously talk Van Halen, David Lee Roth, kiss Gene Simmons for hours. But before we let you go, tell people where they can find you, what you're up to, and of course, where they can find the book. Oh, thank you. Well, the book is still available through Van Halen News Desk, but otherwise Amazon, Target, Walmart, all the usual places where you'd buy a book. Uh, me, I'm at Paltrowitz, like Gwyneth Paltrow with the it's at the end. Mm-hmm. On most of the social media, including TikTok, include yes, yes, inc- not dance videos. I promise. I, <laughs> I found a way to appropriately uh, use TikTok and my show Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. It's on 150 plus TV and OTT outlets regularly, and uh, more on that is at paltrocast.com. My interviews with people post, you know, five, six days a week. Awesome. His name is Darren Paltrowitz, and the book is DLR Book, How David Lee Roth Changed the World. Get the book and check his show out, Paltrocast. Darren, thank you so much. This has been amazing. We love talking this kind of stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, buddy. Tom, Zeus, thank you for your many years of great contributions to uh, society. Uh, I was trying to think of a three-syllable word so I could do the Gene Simmons letter, the very large word. You are a handsome gentleman. I couldn't do that, though. That's all good. Thank you, Darren. Really appreciate it, buddy. Tom, what'd you think? Great stuff from Darren. Love talking to guys that can kind of get inside bands band members you know and he's right david lee roth is not a guy that people talk about a lot or that know a lot about because every time you talk about van halen it's eddie you know or or even sammy sometimes more uh so this was great and you know anytime we have an author on we obviously don't want him to spill too much because we want everybody to buy the book and read it but great great stuff and of course anytime we're talking mixing in some gene simmons some kiss some ace just great stuff with darren yeah, I enjoy the conversation. It's one of those things that once we get somebody going, you could tell this chemistry. He, we, we could just shoot the shit for a while with him, and yeah. uh, he seems about the same, similar age, same, similar interest. Fucking loved it, loved it. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Until next time, peace out, Girl Scout. <laughs>
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.